0: This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Trend. I'm your host, Jay, joined again with Ramon, the CEO of Trend. and Today, we have a special guest, uh, Salim Najjar, the co-founder of Sound, a beverage brand that sells tea-based sparkling beverages. Welcome to the podcast, Salim. We're excited to have you on to talk a little bit about your uh, your brand that's in retail and direct-to-consumer. Um, so yeah, if you could give us a little intro, tell us a little bit more about yourself, about how Sound came about. Um, we'd love to learn more and dive into some questions.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, first, thank you both for having me on the show. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I guess let's let's dive in. So Sound, as you mentioned, is a tea-based sparkling beverage. Um, And my co-founder, Tommy, and I have taken quite a journey uh, to to get here. We've been on the market now for five years. And I guess a little history prior to launching the brand, um, we met at our prior careers where we were engineers at a nuclear power plant. So very logical transition, right? Nuclear power plant engineers to beverage. But the idea actually was conceived at the nuclear power plant. So um, both Tommy and myself are very health-conscious individuals. And Uh, I try to stay away from sugar, especially processed sugar, whenever I can. Um, Tommy, very similar. So at the time, I would just drink unsweetened tea for the functionality and water and, you know, enjoy alcohol, obviously. And Tommy, similar, but Tommy loved bubbles. So he'd drink his Poland Spring sparkling water, his seltzers, you know, and um, he was just never really thrilled with the flavored sparkling waters because um, they were, the, the ingredients in them are natural flavors, and not that natural flavors are bad, but um, they're ambiguous by definition and usually compromised of multiple different sub-ingredients. So you get, you don't necessarily get a clean taste, right? So if you're drinking like a, a grapefruit flavor, it may be very grapefruit up front, but then on the back end, it, it kind of leaves almost like a fake taste. So he came up with this brilliant idea um, to, he bought a soda stream, he brewed his tea, he cooled it, he carbonated it in the soda stream. He was like, oh man, this is clean and simple and Salim's a health nut. I bet he'd love this and he brought it into work for me to try and I still will never forget this day in in my cubicle because we actually sat next to each other. It was like love at first sip. Um, I hadn't had like just pure bubbles in so long and I got the hiccups right away and I forgot how like enjoyable an effervescent drink can be. It's just unfortunately, most effervescent drinks are full of you know crap. So it was like from that point on, I was like, wow, let's let's go, let's do this. And I mean, long story short, a lot in between, but within three months we had developed um, and produced our first run and uh, able to backdoor our way into some Whole Foods and then within six months quit that job and here we are five years later.
0: That's awesome. What a story starting out at a nuclear power plant. So kind of diving into your brand a little bit more. I know right before we started this podcast we were kind of talking behind the scenes. Uh, Ramon was talking a little bit about the branding piece. Uh, Do you wanna speak a little bit to how you guys nailed down that branding and how that process came through and how you were able to develop and put everything together in that sense?
1: Yeah. um, A lot of failures is it would be my like my direct answer to that, because when we started, we had no experience at all in the CPG consumer package goods space or on branding or on any of this. We went to school for engineering and we're working at a nuclear power plant. So we actually created the brand, the first product that we launched with a different name and that's a whole nother backstory. And um, we thought it was great and we were able to like get it on market, but ended up spending way too much of our own money to produce it. And, you know, the CPG space specifically the beverage space is uh, is, is really about distribution, right? Um, You know, we don't sell directly to Whole Foods. We sell to a distributor who then goes and sells to Whole Foods, right? And that's why you see The the um, the strategics, the giants, the Cokes, the Pepsis of the world, that's why they're able to dominate because they own that distribution. They own the trucks, the routes, the people. Right. So you're basically competing for distribution. So as a startup, what your asset is or what you are creating and growing is a brand. Right. So that is the most important thing in in my opinion, in our opinion, in the CPG beverage of building a brand because that's really what you are selling, your brand, your ethos. Yes, you need a good tasting product, but there's thousands of new products out there all the time, right? And what's to stop someone from making something like ours and people have, you know? Cause you cannot actually patent a beverage, right? Some, nobody's patented Coke. That's why there's a million knockoffs of Coke. You could add a little drop of this ingredient, drop less of that. So it's really the brand is absolutely crucial and that was a very tough lesson and a tough failure for us to learn and fortunate for us it was our own money fortunate or unfortunate i guess it depends how you look on it but it was our own money that we lost learning that failure um and so it was about probably a year in uh, we ended up bringing on board a brand strategist to come kind of have a larger conversation on what our mission is, what our values are, what our goal is, and then build a, you know, a brand book or a brand Bible around that and then work with the right designers and strategic strategists to build what you guys currently see right now.
2: I have a question about um, the failures and, and the struggles and, and the learning lessons you had through that process, because as as you know, in the very early days of the brands, mistakes can be so expensive that they could potentially cost the entire company and having it not work. Uh, so uh, could you share, you know, perhaps like what were some of the bigger challenges and how you overcame uh, one of those?
1: Our original brand that we launched in the name was not good at all and not meant to be on shelf. But we, like I said did it. That's all we knew. And we were able to backdoor and get into retail. In order to produce the product, there is minimum order requirements at co-packing facilities, right? So let's just say roughly probably a hundred to $150,000 was spent on creating this product from the packaging, the material, the ingredients, all that stuff. And less than half of it was utilized, right? Because we ended up pivoting, realizing this, we're fighting an uphill battle and had to, you know, look more into b- building the brand um, and ended up, you know, not wasting, but selling for less than cost, the rest of that, you know, to, to the black market. So that, I mean, that's a huge, when you look at it from that sense, a huge failure, a huge mistake. But, you know, I actually, I've talked about this on another podcast we've done with BevNet, like in my opinion, an entrepreneur or getting in this space, that, that's what it's about. It's about failures, right? And a failure is not a failure if you look at it in the proper lens. If you look at it as a lesson and what you can extract out of it and you don't do it again, Right. So we, we looked at that, quote unquote, failure and realized, OK, well, why did that happen? Because we were not focused on the brand and that's what we need to be focused on. And you need to pivot accordingly. And it is it's, it's so much easier said than done not to let it negatively affect you, because especially as entrepreneurs and we have this like go, go, go mentality and the mental aspect um, in as an entrepreneur. And just like I think it's so important to your psyche And how you perceive things in this space, I think, is a direct correlation with your success. So if you look at things in a positive lens and look at a failure in a positive lens, well, then you will come out of that failure much better than stressing and worrying about it. And we could have been like, oh, man, that's it. We're done. We've spent $100,000. There's no way we can continue. But there's always money out there. You can go raise money if you have a story and can show that there is progress coming.
0: That's awesome. That's, uh, that's really cool how you guys were able to pivot and thanks for sharing all of those insights into that entire process. So I know one thing you and I kind of talked about before this podcast as well is talking about breaking into retail. Um, and you mentioned you guys have we actually able to break into retail even before you kind of reposition rebranded and all of that stuff. Um, for those beverage brands out there that are looking to break into retail, what do you suggest, and how is your kind of process to be able to to get into stores?
1: Yeah, don't don't break into retail. No, uh, re- retail is a oh man, it's a monster, and again, it's a monster because of the distribution side of it, right? You. You are not controlling the whole flow and you're relying on a distributor to get your product to the Whole Foods or to whatever the occasion is. Whereas direct to consumer, you know, yes, maybe you have a fulfillment center, but it's you have a lot more, um, I guess, transparency in the entire you know, a lot more control and transparency in the movement. To get into retail, you need a distributor. There's really no other way around it. You can potentially work with a Whole Foods to get in as a local and deliver. But when you think about it from a Whole Foods perspective, right, why do they want to deal with a million brands delivery and scheduling all these things? No, they just want to deal with one of the big guys like a UNFI retailer who will deliver all those brands, right? So, Um, really the the first thing, if you're looking to break into retail is figuring that portion out, the distribution portion out. And unfortunately it's like this chicken or egg game, right? It's a distributor doesn't want to bring in a new brand if they don't have any accounts to go to and you can't get into an account without a distributor. So how do you go about doing that is the challenge. And it depends on your relationships and, you know, what you can work for us. I like to say we kind of like backdoored our way in. Uh, we we figured that out and I basically we'd go to Whole Foods in uh, that we were local to cuz Whole Foods has a local program where if you're manufactured or created in their region, you can, you know, this was now five years ago so i'm not sure if it's the case after an amazon acquisition but at least back then you can go to an individual whole foods and say hey i'm a local product and they could bring you in as just a local product right not like in all their stores but as a local one so i went to a bunch of whole foods that we were local to showed them the product pitched them sold them and got commitments from them and then went to a distributor saying that I have these commitments and then was able to, you know, get it. So that's kind of how we did it. That doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. There are plenty of ways to do it, but to get into retail distribution is absolutely key unless you're planning to go and deliver product on a weekly basis which I do not recommend as a founder because we've done that
0: so what would you say like kind of on that on that note um, was there anything particular that you would say is the biggest thing that as a founder you had to overcome to to break into distribution was it that piece where you find the distributor or was it um, like pitching to local Whole foods or what was what was kind of a thing that you feel like probably other founders? face a similar challenge, that's probably the hardest thing to break into retail?
1: Rejection. Because there is a million of us and a million new ideas all the time. And from a distributor's standpoint, they're getting pitched all the time. From a Whole food standpoint, they're getting pitched all the time. So, realize that you are going to get a whole lot of no's and a no doesn't mean that's the final answer. And it's about being clever and witty and finding other ways to pitch and position and just keeping, it kind of ties back to that positive perspective and fighting this uphill battle because that's what you will continue doing as a entrepreneur in this space.
0: Definitely. Um, and then one, so, one
2: thing I, I bet yeah. that is a challenge in the in the direct, I mean, in the differences between between retail and direct to consumer is that You know, in the rejection phase of uh, with the retailers, you're talking with one person directly. What you get from them is a no. Whereas, direct to consumer, you have the direct interaction with the end user, which is the buyer, which can give you specific. Product uh, feedback, and then you can gather that in a big pool of feedback, and then decide how to implement that into the product and keep improving. Whereas, where the retailer, it's just one person saying, "Not yet."
1: And you, you nailed it, Ramona. And and to give it to even dive a little deeper in that, imagine if that one person, in our case, let's say, loves a sugary drink. Right? It doesn't matter if all his customers don't like it. Like, we're you're trying to sell a drink that they don't like, but their customers will like. So. That's why it's just the rejection portion you have to be careful with, and realize that okay, how can I get around this? Because you're absolutely right, which is why retail is a monster headache.
2: But at the same (laughs) time, you know, I've I've talked with a bunch of people that do both, right? I brands that do five thousand plus retailers, um, and. Then they also do direct-to-consumer, and uh, there, there, there is a beast on both ends, right? Like the retailer side, that's the beast of the retailer side. And then uh, then when you talk to them about direct-to-consumer, uh, some of them can also say, yeah, the, the customer acquisition costs are insane. They're through the roof. It's, retail is better. So I guess you, know, you have to pick your battle, but um, there's a beast to both ends for sure.
1: Could not agree more.
2: Absolutely.
0: All right, kind of shifting focus a little bit over here. Uh, I know that you guys are in the direct to consumer space now and uh, we've talked about how you've been shifting towards that. Um, so let's talk about what's what's one of the biggest thing that's happened this year in 2020, COVID-19 and how it's impacted so many businesses. Um, Let's, let's talk about a little bit, um, how has it impacted your selling strategy? I mean, you guys were, were big in retail. Um, what kind of happened when that happened? And uh, what's, what's kind of been your strategy since then?
1: Yeah, um, COVID-19 uh, flipped around our business model because something we haven't talked about, yeah, retail, we, we're in. Retail pre-COVID was only about 20%, 25% of our business. Um 70% of our business was the corporate channel. So from the onset of of conceiving Sound which we conceived in a corporate office, we knew and had a lot of people in our network that worked at the Facebooks the LinkedIn's the Google of the world which offer what's known as a pantry service. I don't know if you've ever been in any of these offices but it's like, you know, it's like a dream. You get unlimited supply of free beverages and snacks that are healthy, a uh, catered breakfast and lunch. So in our minds, it was like, wow, these people are our target market, right? I would pay to have anybody in Facebook that's working there get my drink in their hands. I'd pay to get it in their hands. Now, not only am I not paying, I'm making money selling it to a corporate distributor who sells it to them and they're getting it for free in an unlimited supply. So for us, it was like, we're cutting out that one layer of the distribution piece because the end customer gets it for free. And it's the best brand building channel you can imagine. So we went aggressive and pushed that hard and it made up about 70% of our revenue. And we were, you know, East Coast, West Coast and headquarters all over um, and just launched our cans actually in there finally, which was just only increasing volume, January and February, best months to date. And then this thing called COVID-19 hits and it takes 70% of our business down to zero, which it has remained since then. Um, So... Again, you look at that and you could say, wow, what a failure and what a mess and be stressed about it. Um, but we have not for a second. I mean, obviously, yes, it's frustrating. And when you spend five years building a business on that model and raising capital against that, um, it's not an easy thing to swallow. But you have no other choice but to swallow it and pivot accordingly, um, which is why we have shifted now top priority to direct the consumer, which was. Five to ten percent of our business beforehand, and we just we had it on Shopify. weren't really pushing Amazon much um, because. We, were, we had such an economical, efficient, economically efficient channel in corporate, right? We weren't spending nearly as much, and the brand was growing and building. So it just made sense to keep feeding that beast. Um, that beast is no longer a beast right now. I hope it comes back. I think it will come back one day. Um, but now it has shifted to direct the consumer because retail obviously took a hit as well. We're not an essential item. So that took a huge hit, and it's been now – direct to consumer focused for
0: sure wow that's a that's a major shift to to happen and i know a lot of other beverage brands even other consumer packaged goods brands are dealing with kind of the same thing so um thank you for kind of shedding light on some of that uh some of what's been going on with your business um talking about specifically you got you talked about that you are shifting towards direct to consumer what are some of the strategies um that you guys are doing to try and hit that area a little bit harder, um, and really grow your presence in direct to consumer.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it's always been about organic growth. Um, and I mean, from the onset uh, for the past four years, really, we ha- we haven't done much with influencer marketing and stuff like that, because in our minds, we, we wanted to build the brand organically. Um, I think there's no better growth in building a brand than organic growth. Now, obviously, there comes a point in time where you need to spend money to build that. And that's kind of where the point we're at right now that COVID almost forced us into. Um, so uh, been growing organically. And we actually recently partnered with a digital agency. So it's the first time now we're starting to spend ad dollars and um, and really try to push our, our Shopify sales through the Facebook, Instagram monsters of the world.
0: Awesome. One question that uh, I know I'm sure would be helpful for a lot of brands that are either starting up or really just maybe in the few first few months of their cycle is uh, we've talked about retail. We've talked about direct to consumer. Um, if you had to do it over again, how would you do it?
1: Man, what what a... I guess an easier question to answer now, looking back, um, whew, I don't, I think it really depends on your product and your brand, right? Um, because for us, we launched our first product line was glass bottles, which just did not make sense to really push direct the consumer because of the logistical nightmare one and wait two and repackaging it to ensure that the bottles don't break. Right. Um, Now we have cans. If we launched in cans, it may have been a different approach. If we're a powder or a snack, it may be a different approach. I think it really depends on your brand. And now, obviously, external factors like COVID, um, because if you were launching right now, I would say, please go direct to consumer and don't even start looking at retail because you're just fighting an uphill battle that so many others are fighting and you don't have the capital to fight that battle alongside of them. So. Um, it really depends on the brand and I guess just the external scenario of
0: your environment. For sure. Um, So if you guys had to redo it, would you go, uh, would you hit harder on direct-to-consumer first or retail?
2: I think Salim has a point. Like the external factor is just, it's just like, I think the question could be reframed as like, if you're starting over with COVID and then if you're starting over without COVID, like, um, so I want to reframe that question. If you were to start over um, with with COVID not being there, um, you know, would you still have taken the same approach?
1: I would not have changed the thing because it's gotten us to where we are pre-COVID, which was great. And again, our approach though wasn't retail focused; it was corporate focused, right? And that's because of that brand building channel. So I guess that's technically not answering your question. Um, if it was between retail or direct-to-consumer, I would then go back to, again, what is your brand, what is your product, and what are the logistics that go in your product? And based on that, I think if you have a product that can move well on direct-to-consumer and the economics work, I would definitely recommend going that route first and kind of building a brand on DTC because then that'll just make the sell on retail that much easier.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, COVID is definitely uh, not an easy thing to overcome, but... Good news is that eventually, I mean, eventually, hopefully someday it'll be over and you took the time to, to, to really focus in on direct to consumer and those corporate partnerships will, will reignite. So we'll be rooting for you along the sidelines. Appreciate that. Appreciate that.
0: Definitely. Um, I think I've got maybe like one or two questions left over here for me. Um, And then if Ramon has any as well um just a quick one over here you talked about you know you said you did a lot of organic growth at the beginning um how did you guys go about that what channels were you using to grow organically um how is that such a powerful full tool to grow sound into what it is today
1: yeah and that touches back on that corporate channel which had so many benefits but in, in our minds the biggest was a brand building channel because again, our, our target audience being kind of what we like to say a premium or next evolution in a sparkling beverage, um, our target customer is someone in these you know millennial type corporate offices like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Google, right? So you want to get your product as a, as a consumer packaged good in the hands of your target audience, even if it's for free. I mean, at first, you need to get it in them for free so that they see it, they have it, they enjoy it, they like it. So when they see it in a Whole Foods or they see it online, they're like, oh, yeah, I tried it. I liked it. So getting the product in a consumer's hands is the number one mission in organic growth. And we found the channel that can do that where we could also be profitable. So that is the channel that we aggressively, aggressively, you know, tripled down on and pushed for the first five years of building the business and and really has led to the success that we have seen um, pre-COVID and post-COVID once all is said and
0: done. That's awesome. Um, I think in terms of questions for me, that kind of answers most of the ones that are out there. There was a ton of knowledge that you put out um, that I'm sure brands listening can use and help. Maybe it'll reignite some strategies for their business as well. Um, Ramon, do you have any other questions you want to ask, Salim?
2: I don't. I think that's a lot of information to digest. I, I, like I mentioned before the podcast, I really wanted to talk about branding. I think it's it's so important and crucial. And I love the fact of your guys. I love your guys' story in the sense that you know you weren't branding experts. Uh, typically, uh, nuclear power engineers aren't. Uh, <laughs> you know, meant to have that background, but uh, you know, you figured things out as you go, and and that's been. Our story here as well at Trend, you know, we're, we're not a, a big venture uh, funded company and we've had to really, really listen to our early users and keep iterating on the product, uh, understand our positioning in the market and develop the brand from there. So, you know, uh, as a founder, I know how it feels to see all these brands racing, which recently there was one like racing like $200 million. And you're like, okay, well, that's easy to, to nail a brand like that. You know, I can't build a brand like that without racing that much money. But in fact, is if you just focus on your craft and listen uh, to your to your buyers uh, you, you, and create that connection with them, the brand will follow.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up over here, um, I want to leave it off with one thing uh, and then we can kind of talk a little bit more about where people can find you and get in touch. Um, but what's, what's next for sound?
1: What is next for sound? Oh man. Well, I think it depends on what's next for the world, but, uh, in, in a COVID in in the COVID era, what's next is us continuing to focus, um, priorities on direct to consumer. And we are, we are starting to learn a, a lot about that and, you know, um, uh, seeing how we can grow that business, and I think at the end, like the silver lining in my mind with COVID is it, it forced us to learn about direct to consumer, which will be a huge portion of you know uh, the CPG industry moving forward, regardless of if COVID ends today or next month or in a year. Um, I think that's going to be where you find a lot of people, especially in cities, um, you know, purchasing their their goods. So. Um, It's forced us to uh, to prioritize that. And it's also forced us, um, you know, I've taken this time to really look at our operational efficiencies and really try improving uh, on that front, which we have a lot of exciting new stuff happening. Uh, I, I think exciting. Most people would say boring, but the engineer and me like in the background, exciting improvements and efficiencies on that run. So when things start to open up again, when corporate opens up again and we can get back to that hyper growth, we're just um, that much more ready to capitalize on it. So, um, so yeah, we're just, we're going with the flow as we always have been.
0: That's great to hear. So thank you again, Salim, for joining us on this podcast. We really enjoyed having you talk about your story at sound. Um, what's next, uh, a lot of the challenges you've been able to overcome. It's been really impressive. Um, so before we go, um, I'd love if you wanted to share uh, a little bit more about where people can try sound beverages or get in touch with you if they need to get in touch or learn more about you and your brand.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And again, appreciate the time and you guys having me on your show. Um, It has been very enjoyable. Uh, In terms of where you can find us, the best place uh, right now in a COVID world to purchase us would be our website directly, and that's drinksound.com uh, dot dot Um, and you can also be great on Instagram. You can follow us if you want where drink dot sound is our handle. And, uh, and yeah, I think we, we also are on Amazon, but the, the, I think the most affordable way to get us would be through our website directly at drinksound.com.
0: Cool. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, we will definitely have that on the show notes. We'll have a link uh, to all of those links um, for people to follow you and take a look at Sound's website. But thank you again, Salim, for joining us on the podcast. And thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you guys next time on The Trend.